Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. This week's show is the start of a series of candidate interviews for the provincial election in Northumberland, Peterborough South. The order is completely random based on when the various campaigns were able to book interviews. Without any further ado, here is the Liberal candidate, Jeff Kwasnick. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Jeff Kwasnick, the Liberal candidate for Northumberland Peterborough South. Welcome to Consider This. Well, thank you very much, Robert. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy and pleased to be here. Instead of going over all the party platform stuff you have included in your speeches and campaign literature, I want you to pick one thing, just one, that you did not include. One thing that we will not read or hear over the next four weeks that you wish you had included. Geez, that's that. You, you know, you always get me with a few of these zingers, uh, Robert. And I, and I try to figure it out ahead of time. I really do try to do some homework and think, oh, all right, what is he going to ask me? Um, because, uh, gee, I, I, I've done a lot of homework on on where we're heading. Um, so one thing that, ooh, gee, that is a, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, hmm. You know, I, I, I will give you one. I, I, I think the one thing um, that I have been particularly interested in, and we are going to have a platform on it, um, is rural Ontario. Um, and uh, it's, you know, uh, I, I think in, in terms of, I think what I believe you're asking me is, is something outside the, the typical um, issues like healthcare and education, long-term care. Um, for me, rural Ontario is really, really important because, you know, even our urban areas, uh, um, are probably more non-urban than actually urban. And uh, so that is, a, is something that is of real interest to me. And I'll be honest that, you know, certainly in the last election, the Liberals did not do well in rural Ontario. Um, but I think it is, it, it's, it's an area that I live in, um, that I believe in, and, and it's something that we need to take a look at. And, uh, you know, if I can... I can talk about a few of those those issues within rural Ontario for a moment. I think one of the number one things that I've been hearing at the doors is we have a lack of doctors. Um, we have a lack of, of professional health care uh, providers in, in small town Ontario. And, and that is something that, that I think the Liberals and Stephen Del Duca and certainly myself are very, very interested in, in trying to repair. It's not an easy thing to do. 
Um, but uh, certainly uh, we need to do it. You know, I think I have, my mother is 86 years old, Robert. She lives in Oshawa in the house that I grew up in. And I've really tried for the last few years to get mom to move out, to be a little closer to where Maureen and I are. Um, and, and she often says, you know, my friends are here, but most importantly, my doctors are here in Oshawa. And I think that she just fears that if she came out this way, um, it would be very difficult for her to find a doctor. And I think it'd be very, very difficult as she, as she continues to get older and she's in wonderful shape, drives all over the countryside, but having to drive to Oshawa is, is tough. So, so I think, I think that is, is, is an issue. Um, I think along with rural Ontario, we have to be very conscientious that we are losing 175 acres per day of farmland to development. And that is a real concern, particularly for our farmers out here in Northumberland, Peterborough South. Um, and I guess, Robert, a question I would get, get you to just sort of think about for a minute. If we're losing 175 acres every day, what is Northumberland County going to look like in 10 years or Peterborough South? Do you think the campaigns concentrate too much on the vote-rich GTA rather than areas like this one? <clears throat> um. I think that uh, obviously the urban cent centers are, are going to get a fair amount of attention. But, you know, having said that, um, I, I, I think that the, the parties do, they do show respect for rural Ontario. Um, let me just share something with you uh, about our leader, Stephen Del Duca. And, and, and I think it'll come around to, to better answering your question. Um, Way back in the summer, early summer, we had a caucus meeting with Stephen and, and he basically identified um, what the main issues um, in, in, in this coming election, he felt, and, and, and I think we all agreed with him, uh, were going to be. And then one of the things that he, he said is, I want every, every single caucus member to, to be on a policy squad. And he said, and for the next three months, we are going to do a tremendous amount of listening. We are going to contact stakeholders and we are going to listen. And based on, on what we are hearing, we will then move forward and we will uh, form our, our, uh, our policies and our platforms. I was very fortunate, Robert, to be on two policy squads um, for, for the Liberal uh, Ontario Liberal government. Um, one being education, which, which makes sense uh, with my long career there. And the other was rural Ontario. And I wanted to be on that um, simply because I live in Colburn and uh, our riding, as you know, it stretches, you know, from Newcastle along to Brighton and then up through Campbellford and across to up to Norwood and then the north side of, of, of Rice Lake. Um, so I wanted to be on that. And, and then we reached out and we just contacted stakeholders and we can't contacted hundreds of them. It, it was a huge, huge task, uh, but it was incredible. And we, you know, we, there were groups that I didn't, I had no idea they even existed, um, but their feedback was, was incredibly useful. So, uh, 
So that that might help to, to answer where you were going. The last time we spoke, you had just won the nomination. Now, give me one thing, and I'm going to hold you this time, one thing you have learned or been taught about being a candidate that people would be surprised to learn. You know, something you get at candidates training that surprised you about what you have to do as a candidate. I, I, think, I think the one thing that I, I, I've learned is, is this, the task of running to, to, to serve is completely overwhelming. Um, you know, I've done a lot of things in, in, in my lifetime. Um, I, I guess, I guess I just never envisioned the scope of, of running, uh, for politics. And I'd never really thought about how steep the learning curve would be. And it, it, it's incredibly steep. Um, and the speed at which one has to, to learn, um, and, and I enjoy learning and, and I enjoy every part of that, but I, 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 I guess I really never had, uh, I never saw that piece coming. I knew I would be busy. Uh, that was not the issue. I think it was just, uh, uh, the sheer intensity, uh, of, of, of the job. I'd like to turn now to your campaign and, uh, your platform. Now, you say in your campaign that you believe in real wages. I want yes. you to explain to me what that means. Well, I think uh, in terms of real wages, I think, I think we have to look at an affordable, uh, affordability issue, Robert. Um, and, and, and the whole notion of affordability it's it's huge. We can bring in affordable housing, and we could bring in cost of living, um, and and I think those things truly affect um, what a living wage uh, is. You know, I think we learned a lot of things through the pandemic, um, and I think it's very very difficult. I think in the early stages, we 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 identified workers as essential workers, and I think as time went on. I think the definition of essential workers truly did change. Um, and uh, I think that we learned many, many things going through that whole experience. You know, when I went in uh, to do my grocery shopping, uh, I often thought, you know, these, these people at, at various times within the, the pandemic were literally risking their lives. And yet they were there serving us. And, and to me, that was essential. When I look at the police that were working every day and, and our, our first responders, um, when I look at medical staff, they were all essential workers. And, and then I look at people who were going in and doing perhaps factory or carpentry work, our plumbers, our electricians, they, they, were, they were working every day through the, through the pandemic. Um, so, the whole living wage, I, I, I guess for me, it's can you make enough money to be su somewhat sustainable, to pay the rent, to buy the groceries, to do all of those things? Well, and I think that is, that is something that, that, that we truly have to take a look at. Well, let's take um, a look at that then, because the minimum wage was just raised to $15.50 an hour by the current government. And the previous Liberal government back in 2014 tried to tie in 
the minimum wage to live inflation. But then three years later, your liberal government stopped that practice. And then it promised to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour just before the last election. Now, none of these amounts add up to a living wage, like you were saying. I mean, if you check the living wage for somebody living in Northumberland is $18.80 an hour. Exactly. Yeah. Now, what is your government then going to do to provide people with that living wage? Well, one of the things that, that, that Stephen Del Duca has, has mentioned is we want to look at a living wage and we want to look at a minimum wage um, that might be attached to a particular area. And, and exactly what you were just talking about, we know that that, that living, living wage within um, Northumberland is, is sitting at around $18 an, an hour. Um, and yet, I think that if we simply jump to that right away, um, I don't think that that would work. Um, but we have been very, very clear at saying that we would immediately increase the minimum wage to $16 an hour. And then uh, within um, the Liberals taking over government, we would look at that living wage uh, per, per area or per well, but, but looking at something and doing something about it, this is the, the perennial thing that when people are listening, I know gets under their craw. You know, all of a sudden we're going to be at the next election and you're going to be telling me again, well, we're hoping to, can we not get something more concrete that says that your party is going to start creating a wage? Because it's even at $16, you're still $3 short of what it takes for somebody to live in Northumberland. So what can you promise us concretely that's going to happen that we're going to reach that well i, I think robert if, if you remember the last time the liberals were in government we said that we wanted to increase the 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 minimum wage to 15 dollars, and then when doug ford took over he reduced that and it took him four four years to get to the to the 15 dollar uh minimum wage okay We've but said, what are you what are you going to, what's your party going to do if you're well, elected I, and you're the government what are you going to do concretely to get to that living wage that minimum living wage in northumberland we have been very very clear that that we would immediately um upon taking power increase the minimum wage to 16 dollars an hour and then we would move towards a living wage okay now what about ontario disability support payments or odsp now, if these people can barely live. What is your government, if you're elected, going to do for them? Well, I would like to share that with you right now, but I, uh, um, we've got that platform coming out, I believe, in the next week or two, Robert. So uh, um, I, I, I don't want to um, sort of spill the beans too early on that one. But I can tell you that we have spent a tremendous amount of time, and I think that uh, most will be very, very happy with that. All right, then. Will you kill the Conservatives' legislation that limits public sector wages hikes to 1%? If you're referring to Bill 124, the answer is absolutely. Uh, and uh, the um, I ran a health... Uh, uh, a healthcare uh, roundtable, a roundtable featuring nurses and healthcare professionals, I would say uh, six or seven weeks ago. And uh, I think most people understand that our healthcare is, is certainly underfunded and underserved right now. Um, but I don't think the general public understands what our nurses are currently going through. 
And uh, I, 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 I was shocked to actually hear some of the comments. And, and if I can, can share some of that with you, Robert, I, I had a nurse who had spent the last 35 years of her life working at Peterborough Hospital. Um, she was in the ICU uh, department. Um, her job was making the decision as to who gets into ICU and who does not, which I can't imagine the stress level, particularly when our, when our ICUs were, were bursting. But she said that the stress level for her um, accelerates the moment she gets in her car and she goes to work. And she said, um, I immediately begin thinking that I'm going to work and I'm going to be short staffed, which then translates that the next shift will be short staffed and I will have to work an extra four hours. So an eight hour shift turns to a 12 and a 12 hour shift would turn to 16. She said, this has been her life every single time she goes to work for the last two years. And then she begins thinking about um, well, who, how many will I be short? And if I, am I going to be short four staff, five staff, three staff? And if they put someone into my department, am I going to have to train them? And the answer is probably yes. And then that begins to take time away uh, that I should be spending with my patients who, who are probably already underserved. And, and she said, the stress of the job just accelerate as I get closer and closer to, to work. And, and as I, I heard that, and, and I think it's a common thing that a lot of our nurses and healthcare professionals are going through, um, it, it comes back to, we, we seem to have lost the respect that our healthcare professionals deserve. And I think that um, bringing some of that respect starts with us um, getting rid of Bill 124. Let's talk about healthcare then. Mm -hmm. Now, your campaign literature says you believe in public healthcare. Absolutely. When the Liberals were in power, we watched our local hospital struggle annually with its budget. The, liberal and the Liberals in those days would provide funds each year but there was never a commitment to making those amounts permanent so the hospital could count on those dollars. Now, since the Conservatives have come to power, they have spent unprecedented, unprecedented amounts of money locally. They've made the funding permanent so the hospital board does not have to worry each year if it's going to get its money that it needs. So, and they've created health teams locally. So what is it that you believe you can bring to the table that's going to do better than this. And I'd like you also to address the concerns that you just articulated by the person at your round table. So, you know, I, I think a, a lot of the funding that the Conservatives brought to the healthcare table um, have been in, 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 in regards to, to bricks and mortar. And, and that's all fine, um, but we, we need, we need the, the healthcare professionals to work within uh, uh, those hospitals. And there is certainly a, a shortage of that. 
So I think I think we certainly have to look at at having um, more people working within our hospitals. You know, I've I've met with. Wait, wait. Uh, can, can we just I, stop I, a second? Hold on. Well, yeah. You mentioned bricks and mortar. What's wrong with bricks and mortar? Maybe something needs a new roof, or maybe something oh. needs to be painted, or we need to expand something here. Like, what's the problem there? I don't think there's a, there's a, a real problem. Absolutely, I'm I'm all for fixing leaking roofs. I'm all for um, putting on additions to to hospitals. Um, it, it it's fine. The easy part. Of, of, of healthcare is, is throwing money towards bricks and mortars, in my opinion, creating the policy so that things can function within that is, is, is the tough part though, Robert. And I feel strongly uh, with regards to that. And, and I think that's all I, I, I am saying is we, we sort of have to fix the inner workings, um, uh, you know, uh, as well as building new hospitals and, and, and uh, okay. adding on and, and, and repairing those things. Don't get me wrong. I, I think that's equally as important. Um, I think that, you know, and I, I, I've spoke with administrative staff at, at numerous hospitals. I think that what I am hearing is we have a lot of people that are going to hospital that don't necessarily need to go to hospital. Um, and maybe we should have, um, other things in place uh, that would free up some of the. Uh, but the isn't backlog. that the isn't that the purpose of the health teams? Isn't that what's going on right now with the health teams? Well, it is, and 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 that makes perfect sense. But at the same time, um, that's where we maybe need to put some of those bricks and mortars into uh, what. Where are those health teams going to actually do their work? Because some of them cannot function within the, the hospital per se. Um, so, uh, as, as an example, um, you know, maybe we need some facilities uh, to help out with mental health. Um, you know, maybe we need some facilities um, that are dealing with with poverty issues related directly to one's personal health. Um, so, so maybe instead of people going to the hospital for these things, we should be creating more like a, uh, almost like a, a hotel hub where you can, you can go and you can maybe get some food. Um, you can look at uh, affordable housing for those who perhaps are living on the streets. Um, maybe you can get some mental health care. And, and, and all of those things, which, which free up some of the things from our hospitals. Now, there are openings for 22,000 nurses right now in Ontario. So what are you going to do to get 22,000 nurses into the healthcare system now and not make us wait? Well, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that you asked that. Uh, the, the question would be, um, why have so many nurses left the healthcare profession. And, and we've seen that happen, particularly in hospitals. And I think it comes back to, um, they don't feel valued. Um, they, they, they're overworked, um, they're stressed. And we have seen that many, many nurses have left working in the, the, the profession, uh, particularly in our hospitals. I think the other thing that um, we have seen is we're not seeing the, the numbers of, of young people wanting to go into this profession. And I think that it just has so many, 
nursing seems to have a lot of negative connotations right now. And I come back to that whole notion of they don't feel respected. I do believe that the start is once we repeal Bill 124 and we begin to show that we respect them, I think that you will see more and more young people say, yes, I want to get back into this, this profession. I would also add that the, um, you know, we have a number of nurses who are, are either about to retire or eligible for retirement. And uh, the, the Ford plan was to uh, have them sign on for an extra year for $5,000. And, and nurses find that somewhat insulting. And, and when you think about it, they say, you know, basically, I'm going to probably lose half of that in income tax. So I'm really looking at 2,500. And I really don't know if I want to do a full extra year uh, for an additional 2,500. And we have seen that in several other provinces, um, it has um, a similar thing as has been proposed and the figure is, has, is double, double that of what Doug Ford is offering. So I think, I think in order to attract more nurses and we do need to hire them, we, we, have, to, we have to make the profession more attractive. It's really that simple. Let's move on to a topic I'm sure is one of your favorites, and that's public education. You complain the conservatives have taken a hammer to education, and your party has committed to spend a billion dollars to limit class sizes to 20 and hire 10,000 teachers. Yes. So over what period of time are we talking about here? Is that, how fast is that going to happen? Well, I think we want it to happen as quickly as possible. You know, certainly hiring 10,000 teachers is a challenge. There's no question about that. Um, having said that, we know that we've lost a tremendous number of teachers who, who went to school in Ontario and, and have left the province because, you know, four or five years ago, there were no jobs for, for teachers. Um, and then suddenly we, we've just had so many, so many retirements. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a bit of a, a shock uh, per se, when it comes to, to needing uh, uh, teachers. So it's an ambitious number, uh, but I think uh, it can be met. So what, is, I, what does this quickly as possible mean? Can you help me with that one? I, I, I think that, that we're looking at probably within the first two years of the Liberals taking government. Okay, and, and yeah. where are the teachers? Uh, you said there, some of them you're going to draw from elsewhere, but where else are they going to come from? Because I understand there, there aren't the same surpluses of, of teachers in, in the education system, uh, post-secondary education, excuse me. So where are these people coming from besides well, uh, <laughs> elsewhere? Well, I think, there's a, I, I think that, that there could be a number of options. I think that we probably will have to look at, at the possibility of, of looking at retired teachers to come in for some uh, long-term occasional positions. Um, it's not all going to be full-time positions, Robert. Um, I think that uh, we're looking at teachers coming out of teachers' college. Yeah, you know, for the, the last number of years, no one came out of, of teachers college and, and stepped into to full-time teaching positions. So I think that's going to look very, very promising for a lot of our young, young people um, looking for a career in, in, in education. 
I don't think it's an, uh, an impossible task to reach. Is there sufficient capacity though, physical capacity within the system, the classrooms and other supports that are gonna be there and how are you gonna fund those? Um, I would say in the vast majority of schools, you're gonna find that we've, we've been experiencing declining enrollment. That will not be the case in all schools. Um, there's no question about that. We've looked at those things. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I don't think parents are, 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 are looking for us to drop hundreds of portables in a, in a parking lot, um, but we may have to do that. I think, I think what we're looking at with the 20 to 1 ratio is a post-pandemic post plan. And as, as you're probably well aware, um, a lot of students throughout the pandemic, um, and understandably so, have fallen behind. Um, you know, moving from in-person learning to online learning, uh, it has been a struggle. It's been a struggle, not only for, for students, but for, for teachers and, and particularly parents. Um, so we know that there are gaps in, in many students' education. And if we do not address them, then those gaps will continue as, as these students move their way um, from primary uh, school into secondary school, and certainly from those in secondary school into college and university. So I think we have to make some, some really um, good attempts of, of closing those gaps. As a, as a longtime teacher, I can, I can tell you that when a teacher has a smaller classroom, they have more time to spend with individual students, particularly those who might be struggling. And I, I just think this is, this is a, one of the most critical things of fixing uh, sort of education post-pandemic. Your campaign literature says you are concerned about municipal affairs. Would you reverse the decision and let the sale of the Wesleyville lands to Port Hope go forward as originally planned? I'm, I'm glad you brought up Wesleyville. And uh, I can tell you what I definitely wouldn't do, Robert. And, and that is, I would never, ever um, see, see what happened. I would never see, see what happened 72 hours before there was a, a, a binding, a signed binding agreement to transfer that land uh, over. I would, I would never be a part of, of something like that. I think there are a lot of questions um, that residents of Port Hope and, and residents of the province of Ontario would like to see answered with regards to the Wesleyville land transfer. Um, because if this can happen in our riding, in, in, in the area of Port Hope, Wesleyville, who's to say that it, it won't happen in, in other jurisdictions? And, and frankly, let's be honest, it really has happened with, with Doug Ford using the MZOs. Well, okay, but you didn't answer my question. Would you reverse the Wesleyville land deal and go forward with it as it was originally planned? What, what I would, would say is I, I think there are a ton of questions that I have 
for the Ford government with regards to Wesleyville? Why, why was the agreement canceled? We don't know that. Um, so I think once those answers uh, came in, I think, uh, but, I think but we do we do know the answer. The answer is is that the uh, Center for Realty Excellence has taken over. They're saying that it's because of the legislation, and therefore the the disposal of the lands is going to take place through this uh, core, this Center for Realty Excellence. So yeah, but, but we, we, there's not even infrastructure based on core. They they basically created core. Um, they came up with with a, an acronym with no substance behind it. What I can tell you, Robert, is I would do my best and I would fight to restore that land to uh, to Port Hope and its community. Would you reverse the changes in Bill 109 to stop the reimbursement of municipal fees to developers? Uh, to meet preset timelines. I know this is part of Bill 109 that now if a developer comes through and the municipality doesn't get the plan through in a certain set of time, they've got to give a refund. Would you reverse that? Again, I think you're going to see our party come out with an answer very, very, very soon on that. Um, this is what I would say. I think that municipal governments are really struggling with that with Bill 109. And I think that they are finding that the timeline isn't sufficient. Um, so I know they are, they are certainly struggling with that. So I think that, um, again, you're going to see our party come out with uh, some, some, some platform and policy legislation shortly. Would your party reinstate the cap and trade system that your government previously championed in 2018? Uh, again, I think you're going to see us come out with a policy decision on that one very shortly as well. Um, so I, I, I again, I, I think I better defer that one right now, just simply because, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're working on that. And my apologies, but I think you can appreciate that um, it, it's hard to release and say something before we actually make our announcement. Well, I, I would also encourage our listeners to go to Northumberland897.ca as we will have a page there with all the party platforms and they can check in and, and see what you announce over the upcoming weeks. I'd like to move on now. We live in a time over in where there is very divisive politics. There's a lot of negativity we see in the legislature. We watch attack ads and some people may wonder what happened to civility in politics? Can you name one policy or idea put forward by your opponents, and in particular, let's say the conservatives, that you would support? There is no question we live in a very diverse uh, <clears throat> we, we live in troubling times, Robert. Um, and I see it at the doors. Um, there are some lovely, lovely people. Um, and when I knock on their doors, uh, uh, even if they, they can't support the Liberal Party, um, they're incredibly polite. And I understand that. Um, there are also some very, very angry, angry people that when I go to the doors. 
And I try, I, I honestly try to understand that. And I think that any government that is, that is going to assume power next has to, to work with, you know, and somehow, somehow unite us better together. Um, for me, this isn't, this isn't Canada. This isn't Ontario. This isn't the province that I've, I've known. And I think there have always been some bumps in the road. And I think there have been disagreements uh, between political parties before, but uh, um, it certainly is at a different uh, level than I've ever seen before. Um, but can you name one policy or one idea put forward by the NDP or the Conservatives or any of the other parties that you would support? Uh, I think, uh, I really, honestly, I haven't really given it a lot of thought. I've really focused more on what our policies are. Uh, you, you know, uh, there are always going to be some similarities that all, all, all parties have, um, you know, to be, to be, I really haven't thought a lot about that. So off, off, off the top, top I, I can't think of any, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that, Robert, but I can't. To finish, tell <laughs> me one thing that you are passionate about a hobby or a guilty pleasure or an activity that has nothing to do with politics. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I, you know, uh, I, I, I think that, that the work that I've, I've been doing in Sub-Saharan Africa for the last 20 years is, is certainly been a passion of mine. And it's, uh, it, it's sort of that stress re reduction for me. Um, I enjoy doing that work. Um, it's sort of a second home for me. And uh, I love... I love seeing that, that happen. And I think that uh, when, when, when anybody has a passion for something and, and they can help uh, those who are less fortunate, I think it brings out the best in all of us. So, so I guess I, that's not really a guilty pleasure. Um, you know, I, I love tinkering around my, my house. I, I love building and creating things. I love landscaping. And again, I think those are, just uh, for me, those are, 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 are things that, that reduce my stress level. And I don't, I don't see myself having a tremendous amount of stress in my life, but, but those are things that I just enjoy doing. I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that, they're, they're, uh, that I'm guilty for doing those things, but uh, no, yeah, that's, that's sort of what I do in my spare time, I suppose. I love sports as well. Yeah. Maybe watching too much sports would be a, a guilty pleasure. Perhaps that's it. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Kwasnick, thank you so much for talking to me today. Well, thank you, Robert. I, I really appreciate it. And you, you do a tremendous amount of great, great work for our, our, uh, the Northumberland County and Peterborough South as well. So uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Jeff Kwasnick, the Liberal candidate. You know what issues are most important to you, your family, and friends. If you have an issue not addressed during these interviews, please go to the Northumberland 89.7 FM website. There you will see a button for our election survey. Fill it out. Let us know what issues are important to you. We will do our best to get you answers. 
It's your voice, your vote. Go to Northumberland897.ca. That's Northumberland897.ca. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.